It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Marie LeConte. And I'm Gronya Maguire. And thank you so much for downloading this first episode of Changing Politics, the podcast that will look at the week's news as well as looking at a specific, important issue and telling you what you can do to help fix it. This week, we'll be looking at deaths in police custody, which, yes, feels like something you can't do anything about, but in fact, there is, and we'll be telling you what later on. First, though, we need to ask you to please subscribe to this podcast. And if you enjoy it, leave us a nice review or rating wherever you got it, as that sort of thing helps other people find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter at ChangingPolyPod and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com ChangingPol, where we'll try to put up as much information as we can to help you make a difference. And if we can't, we'll put up outtakes where we sound like idiots so you can have a laugh at us. But before that, though, let's talk about the week's news. Well, actually, why not start with Boris Johnson, who has been in the news again this week, you know, as most weeks, since probably the day I was born, the day (laughs) your parents was born, the day, you know, Earth started. So he reportedly was asked about the concerns businesses have about Brexit earlier this week. And his response was, fuck business, which he did not deny at FCO questions in the House of Commons. You know, he, he got the opportunity to actually say, you know, I never would have said that, whatever, which he did not say. So yeah, apparently the Tory Stompson business now is, fuck it. I don't know, what what, what do you make of that? <laughs> Genuinely, this feels like a some sort of story maybe he leaked himself to establish himself as this sort of Trumpian, I don't play by the rules, I don't care. Yeah, this sort of like a bargaining thing he's he's sort of doing with the EU that he's like, yeah, what's the worst you can get? Yeah, we don't care. Fuck you all. Businesses leave. We don't care. We're Britain. Uh, do you think that's what he's playing towards? Or? I guess I quite like actually the theory that he's just absolutely desperate to get sacked from the cabinet. Mm. You know, partly because, you know, that is a man who does not enjoy working very hard. Yeah. And, you know, and I sympathise, which is why, in fairness, I'm not foreign secretary. But also, I think, you know, definitely still has leadership ambitions of his own. So I think, yeah, the theory goes that effectively he just keeps trying to do things that will eventually sort of get him sacked from cabinet. And in fairness, you know, he's been very good at that so far, just doing many, many many things that should get a cabinet minister sacked. But Theresa May is just not doing anything, which has become such such an odd kind of situation where what could he possibly do? Generally, I feel like if he were to get you know, so like on Whitehall and just walk around with his dick out. Yeah. Theresa May would probably brief out, well, you know, the Prime Minister gave Boris Johnson a stern talking to and he'll have to stay in the corner for one day. 
Because <laughs> when I heard he said fuck business, I thought he was referring to his private life. Because <laughs> is it like a case of like Groundhog Day where every day he wakes up, he's like, please, 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 how do I get fired today? And uh, he's being sort of punished by the gods to every day he wakes up. <laughs> The same song is playing on the radio and he's still the foreign secretary. I think that, you know, like that joking aside for a second, I think that was been really interesting this time round. Mm. You know, it's really with the fact that, you know, he missed the vote on Heathrow by going to Afghanistan to meet with the deputy foreign minister of Afghanistan, who, you know, I know is an incredibly busy man, you know, so like it's just bad luck really that that one meeting sort of, you know, fell on the day of the Heathrow vote. Um, but it's but, fine, I mean, he flew from Gatwick, so it wasn't a conflict <laughs> of interest. <laughs> Um, but, you know, is the fact that actually so many Conservative MPs actually took to Twitter to just absolutely relentlessly take the piss out of him for that. So, you know, people like Tom Tugendhat, who's the chair of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee, Greg Hans, who resigned for the, from the government, actually, to vote on the Heathrow vote and go against the whip. And so I think that, you know, he Boris must be realising, I think, that, you know, he just does not have the support of the Conservative Parliamentary Party in a way that he never fully did anyway, but like, he just definitely does not now. Why doesn't he just quit? Why would he do that? I think Boris Johnson is a man who needs a narrative in anything he do. And you can see that with Brexit as well. You know, he's kind of clearly a sort of like romantic man at heart where he likes big ideas and big concepts and big things. And I think that actually there is no... The only thing I could really see was uh, would be for him to do that. So Andrea Jenkins uh, resigned from the front bench a few weeks ago to say, you know, actually, I just want to fight for Brexit. That's my thing. You know, I'm a massive Brexiteer. I just want to properly fight for Brexit as a, you know, as a backbencher. And that works, you know, fair enough. I think that's slightly mad, but, you know, whatever. Whereas I think that if Boris were to do that, obviously all eyes would turn on him. And again, he would have to do a lot of work. And that is not, you know, he's not a man who enjoys doing a lot of work. So I don't, you know, I, I I think, yeah, he's someone who needs a narrative. And I don't think he would have that narrative, you know, if he were to quit. What if he quit to go on Love Island? Like, that would be a good excuse. We'd be like, I'm really sorry, can't make the vote. Um, it's really important, I find love. And in fairness, you know, his dad was uh, on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, and his sister was on Celebrity Big Brother. So actually, you know, to complete the set, yeah. I think it would be quite good for him to do that. Then Leo Johnson, we can send him to, I don't know, Dancing with the Stars. Um, be perfect. Um, and our close friend of the podcast, Liz Truss, has been in the news this week uh, because she was gently ribbing her, her colleague, uh, Michael Gove, saying that she was uh, sort of criticising the government getting involved, telling us when we should be, when we're drinking too much, when we're not eating properly and that we shouldn't be using outside goves. Wood-burning goves. Wood-burning, wood-burning goves. Do you think there's... Is this sort of more sign of sort of backstabbing in the parliament or what What was she up to? Uh, yes and no. Uh, I'd say that I think it's become quite fashionable in the cabinet to actually make fun of Michael Gove. And you know, for a bit of context, I think it is the fact that actually everyone in Westminster knows about Michael Gove's ambitions. You know, he wants to be leader. He wants to be in number 10. But it's the fact that he's not always been sort of, you know, very cunning about it. So, you know, in the past few months, obviously I, I go to quite a lot of events in Westminster for my job. And generally, like, you could not escape Michael Gove. There was just, like, a run of about two or three months. Any event you sort of got there, you got your glass of, sort of, like, warm white wine, you'd look up and boom, there was Michael Gove. Like, generally, you know, so there was kind of that thing and clearly I was not <laughs> the only one who'd noticed that. And to the point that actually, you know, Liz Truss was not the only one who made fun uh, of Michael Gove that way. So there was the policy exchange, the 
right of centre think tank. They had a summer party last week and Theresa May actually gave the speech and she kind of started it by saying, you know, actually... um. Those of you here who do the summer party circuit will have noticed that this is a bit of a collector's event because uh, it's a reception organised by a right-of-centre organisation and um, Michael Gove is not speaking. <laughs> so, you know, if even your boss is making fun of you in front of your pals. So I think I think it's partly that. I think it's just basically other cabinet ministers and the prime minister saying, hey, Gove, by the way, we know, like, we, we see you, we see what you're trying to do. Oh, he's a bit thirsty. He, yeah. Oh my God, yeah. He's horny on Maine. Michael <laughs> Gove is horny on Maine. It kind of, it's kind of like how I feel about Rita Ora. I feel like we had no say. She just was famous. There was no build up. There was no like she single here. It's just like, oh yeah, she's famous. It's a tax you have to pay for Beyonce. She's just there. <laughs> and is, is that how? Is that you go to summer party at the three wine? You have to put up Michael Gove could be in the room. Theresa May has gotten a weighty coming up really soon where her cabinet are going to meet up to discuss what they want from Brexit. This is just what... It, I'm trying to think of an analogy that's as crazy as, oh, hey, EU, you know that thing we caused and we started? It's the EU saying you have to make up your mind what you want. And I just... Sorry, I just, this is probably a bigger chat, but it's just absolutely bizarre that... Brexit is going to happen in a year's time and they still haven't decided what they even want from it, let alone what the negotiations are. I just think it's absolutely madness. But I think the issue, again, it just comes back to the fact that the Conservative Party has been effectively split down the middle on Europe, you know, for decades. And I think, you know, like Theresa May, you know, I, I will happily blame her for a lot of things. But actually, even if you had some kind of, you know, like the most skilled and able and talented and bright sort of like um, PM in Downing Street at the moment, they could still not reconcile the fact that actually, you know, half their cabinet is in favour, like, you know, of sort of like a hard Brexit and the other half isn't. So I think, you know, that's the issue. But again, I don't know, there's kind of an undercurrent at the moment, you know, a sort of theory, I guess, which is that actually every time Theresa May kicks the can down the road like this, she's actually making Brexit softer and softer because you're kind of losing a lot of options by doing this. Mm-hmm. I still think, and, you know, and everyone I've spoken to in the past few months actually reckons that we will just end up with quite a soft Brexit and actually... We have no idea, as far as I can tell, no one knows if that's something Theresa May is doing on purpose, something she started doing kind of accidentally, then realised what happened. Because, you know, obviously she was a shy Remainer, but Remainer nonetheless. But the case is that actually by doing this and by kind of keeping the cabinet in this kind of constant state of crisis, actually that's how you kind of outwit the hard Brexiteers. Distract them. Distract them. Mm. I can't think of anything more. Just think it's that's happening. it. That, that's my only opinion on Brexit. Thank you. Good night. I've been really calm. So, Marie, you're a millennial. What have you snowflakes been offended by this week? Well, actually, I'll have you know, Grandma, that uh, there was a study done by YouGov this week. Uh, which shows that actually students are not as easily offended as, you know, the, the media would like us to think. And so it was actually quite an interesting thing. So they, you know, sort of like gave a statement and then asked, so students and non-students, 
whether they were offended by that take or not. And actually, overwhelmingly, students and non-students reacted the same. So you've got, you know, let's say a statement like, someone who believes that terrorist attacks in Britain can be justified. So 64% of students would ban that, like someone saying this as a speaker. And 63% of non-students would ban that person. So, you know, very similar figures. Then you've got things that, you know, someone who wants all religions to be banned. So 35% of students would ban that person and 32 of the general public. So again, you know, that's a very small gap. I think the only two that actually were quite interesting were... So the one, the one I guess, were students actually were more easily offended, I suppose, than the general public was on whether like someone who claimed that vaccinations cause autism. And so actually 49% of students would ban a speaker um, you know, that had those views versus only 30% of the general public. But then, that being said, you know, there is also, which I, I find weirdly quite funny and I'm not quite sure why, on the subject of, you know, someone who believes the royal family should be abolished, 10% of students would ban the speaker who had those views, but 23% of the general public of non-students would ban someone saying the royal family should be abolished, which I find quite odd. So, yeah, so the youth love vaccines <laughs> and the general public just really love the royal family is is my main uh, conclusion from this. this. Meghan Markle is very popular. We have to take that into the consideration. That is true, that is true. But, um, but yes, yeah, so, no, it does show that actually, you know, it's almost like, you know, some kind of scandals that run and run and run in the tabloids actually are often, you know, kind of completely blown out of proportions. How, you know, did you know that? It was just so shocking. Do you think the reason why students were so sort of chilled and relaxed is they were just so exhausted on the way to like the third job to pay for their student fees? They're like, I don't care. Talk about what you want. I'm going I'm starting my shift at McDonald's in half an hour. I was going to say they're probably just too hungover, so I don't know. I feel like we had different experiences at university. Why has it turned into this whole tabloid caricature of university students being these hypersensitive snowflakes that want, you know, participation medals for doing everything? But I, I think it's just, you know, it's not something new at all. There's always been a kind of generational gap. And, you know, and that's how actually you sort of like get social justice and social change is because, you know, the younger generation will tend to be um, more socially liberal, let's say, you know, kind of like talk about things that the older generations don't necessarily talk about. But that always happens. You know, feminism happened that way. Mm. Um, you know, the fight for gay rights happened that way. The fight for trans rights is happening at the moment. And so I think that's why it just feels so odd because, you know, those kind of middle-aged people going, this is the first time, you know, yeah. young people have, have, you know, had those weird views. And it's like, you were young, like granted about, you know, 70 years ago, but you were young one day, you know chilling around the dinosaurs. Mm. And, you know, you were like that as well. The people around you were like that as well. Do you think sort of in the 30s and 40s there was old people going, oh, for God's sake, all these people demanding seatbelts in cars. <laughs> we drove in a car, we just got on with it. We got concussion, brain damage, lost a foot. We'd that's not even the 30s and 40s, isn't it? I'd say that's a lot more recent, actually, seatbelts. Because even my parents are occasionally, like, when I was a kid, were a bit like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> um... All these women demanding a vote. Oh, my God. We get it, Snowflake. But even weird stuff, you know, we look back on. We're like, you know, my parents smoked on planes. And even I, you know, like a very heavy smoker. Like, that would be my personal hell. Mm-hmm. By all means, have a smoking room in a plane, by the way. If anyone's listening and is in charge of planes, mm-hmm. smoking rooms on planes. That's all I'm saying. But, uh, but yeah, no, so I think, you know, 
change happens because you know at least partly the younger generations have these new ideas and come up with these mm-hmm. things and 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 also yeah get offended by stuff the same way that again you know some generations ago some women had to go like hey like you know the sexism just yeah. can you dial it down like a tiny bit yeah. um so that that always happens it's not new at all uh, sorry if I'm being annoying, but can I have be paid the same way as men? Oh, mm. sorry. Bring back national service. Well, actually, I, I can't believe I'm saying that, but um, this is what centrist sort of, you know, like heartthrob Emmanuel Macron is doing oh, in France. Oh, the Disney prince. So, yeah, well, yeah, now every 16-year-old is going to have to spend a month doing national service. Um, is that why you can buy flick knives everywhere in France? <laughs> yes, it is. Um, but, yeah, no, so up until now, so you had one day, which is called La Journée d'Appel, at least back in my day, whereas just one day, you know, you, like, spent it chilling with the army, I never did it because I'm very cool and like busy. Also, I moved here when I was 17, and then they tried to make me do it here, and I was like, "No, nope, you'll never guess my new address." Anyway, so I can never go back to France. But that's another story. <laughs> but yes, no, there, there will now be compulsory like a month every every teenager will have to do um, national service with again sort of like military tinged stuff. Could you sign up for the French Foreign Legion? Oh my! I mean, that would be a great movie. <laughs> I generally, would absolutely watch that. Like Private um, Benjamin, it'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh god but um but yeah which i mean which again i think is a really interesting thing because especially abroad you know a lot of people were like oh macron you know he is basically like tony blair but mm-hmm. somehow even better he's going to save france he's going to save europe he's going to save the world he's going to mm-hmm. do everything well you know even at the time french most french people were like yeah you know what actually we kind of had the choice between him and the fascists so we're quite happy he won but basically because he's not a fascist so i think that seeing policies like that is really interesting because it's showing that actually he is you know some of his policy ideas are weird he's he's a bit of a weird dude you know and he definitely you know he met the pope um this week and it was extremely funny when you look at the pictures it genuinely looks like it's macron going fine Guess I'll meet the Pope, you know. Hi, Pope. I hope you're really honoured to meet me, Emmanuel Macron. Um, Did, was there a, wasn't there a moment where he, somebody, like a kid, was rude to him in a crowd or something? Uh, yeah, some kid called him Menu, which, you know, is, is a nickname that's been used um, for him before. And he just addressed that kid and was basically like, you know, no, I'm like Mr. President, I'm Monsieur le Président. Uh, but, in, in you know, in the worst tone as well. And apparently that like, is really bleak. So that kid basically has been an absolute anxious wreck since, has not Aww. barely left his house, has not been to school since, at least had not been to school in the week after that. So he just ruined the life, basically, of this random teenage mm. like boy who seemed just quite sweet because he wanted to get like quite a fun sort of like, you know, yet authorit- uh, authoritative clip for Twitter. So he's not Tony Blair because Tony Blair was all like, call me Tony. Not call me Mr. Prime Minister. But that's the weird thing, because actually Macron has played a bit on the, you know, I'm not I'm not one of those, you know, I'm not part of the political elite. And Menu is, again, has definitely been used. But I think it's only he gets to decide when he's called Menu, which is not the greatest look. Oh, my God. I may have to have a more nuanced opinion on him than he's hot. Sorry. <laughs> he's still hot, though. <laughs> It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. 
Tap the banner to go to monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We're going to talk about a serious issue now. Gronje, do you want the stats on death in police custody? Honestly, not really. But we should talk about it because it's important. And actually, there is something we can do to make things better. So since 1990, there have been 1,655 deaths in police custody or following contact with the police in England and Wales. According to stats from 2015, if you get arrested, there is a 1 in 33,000 chance you will die in police custody. And if you're BME, there is a 1 in 14,000 chance you'd die in police custody. So just for comparison, there is a 1 in 100,000 chance you'd die by skydiving. In fact, the charity inquest found that the proportion of BAME deaths in custody where restraint is a feature is over two times greater than it is in other deaths in custody. And the proportion of BME deaths in custody where mental health-related issues are a feature is nearly two times greater than it is in other deaths in custody. Okay, let me play devil's advocate for a second. So I think the reason why we don't know as much about this or it's not reported as much is that it's difficult for people to have sympathy for people who've been arrested because in their head they think well they've been arrested they've obviously done something wrong and they're reluctant to sort of give them the benefit of the doubt and people are thinking oh well it's sad that obviously these people have died but then they shouldn't have got arrested in the first place so it's sort of very confusing situation. Well, let's look at a specific example of someone who died in police custody. A 23-year-old graduate, Shaney Lewis, died in police custody in 2010. We spoke to his parents about it. I'll let his mum say what happened. In 2010, he had a mental health episode. And after a, a few days, we took him... Well, he wanted to go to the hospital to seek attention. And we took him to what we thought was a safe place. And... Uh, eventually, after we left him at Royal Bethlehem, he wanted to leave and they had assured us that as a voluntary patient, he could leave at any time. But instead of calling us, they called the police and eventually 11 policemen restrained him into prolonged episodes and um, he died. But what was so upsetting was that when his body went limp, they thought he was faking it. And so they left the room, left him, didn't give him any medical attention. The door locked. They had to find the key. They opened the door. Of course, by then it was too late. And and, um, all the medical staff had said that if he had had medical attention before they left him, then he would probably 
have been alive. That story is absolutely horrifying. It is, and that's just one story. There are so many more out there, and they're all horrific. So what happened to the police responsible? Well, in the case of Shaney Lewis, there was an inquiry, but it was flawed, so it got thrown out. So then there was another inquiry, and that got thrown out too. Then there was an inquest that found the police and mental health services to be at fault. Then six police officers faced private metropolitan police misconduct hearings last year, seven years after his death. They were cleared of any misconduct. In fact, there have been no successful murder or manslaughter prosecutions relating to state agents such as police or prison officers involved in the death since inquest began monitoring in 1990. Okay, but do the police accept that there's a problem? Well, the police federation say that any death is a death too many, but that the police don't have the resources or funding they need to properly tackle the problem. This is so depressing. It is, but at the same time, there are people out there fighting to make things right. Here are Shaney's parents again. Most of the full story came out during the inquest, which had taken six, nearly seven years to get to, because um, during the initial investigation, there were some botch-ups by the IPCC. The court ordered them to reinvestigate. It took them another two years before they got around to a conclusion. Then we went to the inquest. And between the bad lies or the obvious lies they told, everybody saw through the police's statement, and they were indicted, you know, heavily. But as they say, the inquest is only a fact-finding. It's not a fault-finding. Over the course of the seven years, we found out bits, you know, dribbled, you know, information came out. But, you know, like Conrad says, it was the inquest that we really found out all that was happening. And, um, yeah, it took seven years of pain and heartache to eventually get to the inquest. But it was worthwhile because, you know, we did find out a lot of information that was very harrowing and um, very upsetting. And um, we listened for 14 weeks. And I think the jury deliberated for about 10, 12 days. And eventually, you know, after a, a lengthy narrative, they found out that there'd been excessive, unnecessary force and um, that... Shaney's life could have been saved. Uh, this, um, the eight years happened, I'm still not in a good way, in the sense that it, the whole thing depresses me. And I would not like to see another parent, another father, speaking for myself, to feel the way I do. Um, you question yourself, you question every body around you, you know, what did we do wrong? We thought we took him to a place of safety, you know? But it's my fault for taking him there. So you blame yourself. It's my cross to bear for the rest of my life, and it's not an easy cross, but one of the satisfying things will be if this law goes through and it stops another parent, another child being killed in this brutal manner because it was a violent and brutal death. 
I can't imagine how they get over what happened to them. And they're so dignified and they're so positive and they're so brave to experience what they had. It's so cruel and so unfair and they did all the right things and they still lost their son. And the fact that they're determined to try and get some something good to come out of it, I just think it's absolutely in it's just incredible that they've that they've uh, able to turn what this is absolute horrible tragedy in their life to try and improve things and make sure that it won't happen again oh no it is absolutely incredible and actually you know that's what their mp steve reed is trying to do as well so he's pushing a member's bill that can stop horrific incidents like this happening again i caught up with him about it I had the opportunity to bring forward a private member's bill and having been made aware of the problems and the injustices in the mental health services, I wanted to do something to correct that. Now, the issues that led to Shaney's death, to me, are built on racial bias in the system, if that's the right term to use. There are assumptions made about young black men, schizophrenia, drugs and violence and aggression that leads to them being subject to much more severe forms of physical restraint and medication than other people are presenting with the same problems. Now, in extreme circumstances, that leads to injury or even death. Now, to dig into what's gone wrong, you need access to statistics and data. But um, mental health hospitals or other places where mental health patients are treated do not record the use of restraint, force, in the same way. So you can't compare one hospital or trust with another. You can't compare one part of the country with another. So the first thing my bill intends to do is to standardise the way that data is recorded every time force is used about against a mental health patient. Second point is all police called into a mental health unit will be required to wear operating body-worn video cameras. That alone, according to uh, academic research that I've seen, will reduce the use of restraint by around 50% where where police are involved. That's a good in itself. But in addition to that, it means there is evidence available to show if restraint is used inappropriately. It also protects the police in case there are allegations that are untrue uh, against them. So I'm pleased to say that the police are supporting that proposal. Third thing the bill will do, it will require every mental health hospital to have in place a policy on reducing the use of force. Uh, They should always use uh, de-escalation techniques rather than resorting to force or violence against somebody. And they will also need to appoint a senior manager who will be publicly accountable for ensuring that force is being reduced and that staff are being properly trained before uh, they're involved in using force against patients. And finally, I want the bill to trigger an independent investigation every time there is a death in a mental health hospital. No parents, no person should have to battle for seven years like Shenny Lewis's parents did just for justice after they've lost their child in such traumatic circumstances. And I also want the families of the people who have died to be given automatic legal aid because you've got a very unfair system. There's not a level playing field when the authorities have access to the highest quality legal advice, but families, many of whom have no idea how the justice system works, are just left to flounder on their own. But who actually supports it? Everyone. It's really well supported across all parties. We were at the committee stage, and they said at that stage that it showed Parliament working at its best because all parties supported the bill. There was no opposition. Okay, so that member's bill should sort it out, right? 
wrong because actually since I did that interview it went to the Commons but got talked out of the Commons by Philip Davies and actually I mean you might have missed it you know you remember that day when Christopher Chope actually talked out the upskirting bill that was the same day so you know you've got kind of Philip Davies and uh, Christopher Chope's like you know Batman and Robin but dicks (laughs) what is this what they got into politics they're like how can we shit on people's lives this week it's, I mean, you know, their argument is that, you know, they're actually, it's not the bills they're against, it's actually the parliamentary process of having sort of like private members' bills and stuff. But I, I don't know, I, I don't even have words and I'm just, you know, I'm not sure there's anything polite I can really say about them. And actually, as a matter of fact, you know, if you don't find that distasteful enough for you, the way he actually talked out that bill was by reading an incredibly detailed account of what actually happened to Shaney the day he died. And actually, so Shaney's parents were listening. And Philip Davies was aware of the fact that Shaney's parents were listening as he did that. It's really hard to know why certain people get into politics. You like to think they they think they're making the world a better place, but it's very hard to, um, uh, to sort of understand other people's reasoning at times, isn't it? It is, but, you know, on the bright side, people haven't stopped fighting. It's coming up again for the third reading in Parliament and they really need MPs to support this bill. If 100 MPs turn up to vote, Philip Davies or anyone else actually can filibuster it the next time. And that's why Mrs Lewis is so passionate about getting support for this. 6th of July, we're having the third reading then and praying that um, it goes through because the next stage is the House of Lords. We really, I mean, it's so important that people get their MPs to vote, to come to the House and vote on that day. Um, Often we're there, well, we've always been there, and there are very few MPs that appear in the chamber. They might be in their offices, but they don't appear in the chamber. So it would be wonderful for, you know, if everybody could get their MP to go to the chamber and vote and make sure that, you know, silly games are not played because really it was a, it was pretty pathetic, you know. It wasn't a very good, um, good uh, picture of democracy. It really wasn't, you know. It was, um, it was pretty, pretty childish. Members should turn up to save the future of our children, the future of us, because... Um, the bill is to save the lives of these young children who are going to be our future. It's not a frivolous bill of any kind. No, it's not. It's you a, know, serious so a serious bill to help us move forward. Mm. And for them to come out and give it the support it needs without the filibustering or the political games that do happen still in this day and age. OK, so what can little old me, as in regular person, not an MP, do. Well, you and everyone at home can write to your own MP. It's really easy to Google your local MP. There's an online form you can fill out to contact them. It takes five minutes. You need to tell them to turn up to the House of Commons to vote for this bill because it's going to raise accountability, it's going to make sure that police officers wear body cameras and it's going to make sure that police work with and not instead of hospital staff. We just need 100 people and there are 73 MPs just in London. So come on, we can do that, right? Okay, so let's write to our MPs, pass this bill and fix debts in police custody once and for all. Absolutely. And um, actually, that's it for this week. 
Next week, we'll be saying silly things about the news as well as looking at what you can do to help change abortion laws. We're just going for the easy subjects, aren't we? In the meantime, please do rate, review and subscribe to Changing Politics wherever you got it from and follow us on Twitter at Changing Polypod and like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash changingpol to find out more. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.